This is Brandon Cook from the Loyal Order, and you're listening to the Thunder Underground. Welcome to episode 274 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here. Jason couldn't make it this week. However, Jason is a part of this interview that we have coming up here in just a bit with Brandon Cook. Brandon Cook is the guitarist for the Loyal Order and Black and Blue. So we're going to be talking about all that with him. We've got a good 45 minutes worth of talk with Brandon coming up about everything he's got going on with all those bands. If you've been listening to us for a bit, or at least recently, we had our episode a few weeks ago with Healing the Fray, and we played the Loyal Order's single, Ready for Dead, on that episode. So we'll be talking about, of course, that song and all the other stuff they've got coming up on their debut album that should be out here in just a couple weeks now. So here coming up in shortly, after I tell you what our sponsors are and maybe play some music for you. And I'm happy to announce that we have a brand new sponsor here kicking off right here in July of 2020 with Hella Hot Hot Sauce. Hella Hot Hot Sauce, you as well, if you've been listening to us for in recent months, you've probably heard about because we had our episode with Florida Frank from Hatebreed. And he has a collaborative hot sauce from Hella Hot that's coming out here soon. But Hella Hot Hot Sauce is based in the San Francisco Bay Area of California. And they make small batch artisan hot sauces that are hand bottled by the owners themselves, a husband and wife team. They own the company and they've been doing this for several years now. You can check them out at hellahothotsauce.com. You can also follow them on Facebook. We've got the link right here. If you check out this post on our Facebook page or any of our socials, you can see the link for Hella Hot. So, so follow them on all the socials as well. And like I mentioned, they had that collaborative sauce with Florida Frank called Florida Frank's Florida Heat. They also have a collaborative hot sauce with Digester and the band Ghoul, who we had on this podcast way back episode 205. So it's about a year and a half ago, I believe, that the digester was on here. That sauce is called Brain Jerk. They've got several other sauces you can check out. But yes, do yourself a favor. Look these guys up. Follow these links. Give them a follow. And of course, tell them we sent you. And as usual, we are sponsored by Sunset Tattoo. Sunset Tattoo is a tattoo shop right here in Tulsa. Located at 3146 East 15th Street. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They are state licensed. And most importantly, they are mother approved. Jake and the crew have 25, over 25 years of experience. They've got tons of great work. You follow them on their Facebook page or their Instagram page, Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. You can see tons of photos of all their work. Like Jason's mentioned many times, he's got family members that have had work done. We know band members around here in the Oklahoma area that have got stuff done, and even national bands you've seen on, on their there are pages posting that, you know, Jake has done tattoos for all kinds of people. So give them a call or shoot them a message so you can get in there, so you can set up an appointment to get in there and talk about what work you need done. And as, of course, tell them that we sent you. Med Farm, a dispensary located right here in Broken Air, Oklahoma, right outside of Tulsa at 24683 East Highway 51. It's right there off the highway. You can't miss it. They've got a huge selection, which you can check out at leafly.com. You can follow them on Facebook, MedFarm, that's P-H-A-R-M. Instagram is MedFarmOK, and their website is MedFarmOK.com. If you tell them that we sent you a mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order. You can also text your order, email your order, call in your order, and then pull up, go in, pick it up, be on your way. Or, even better yet, they've got a drive through which I know a lot of dispensaries don't offer. So you can drive up, drive through, get your product, and get out. Or, if you'd like to go in and check out what they've got, of course, they're open. You can do that. I'm sure they would like you to wear a mask, though. So do that. Get in there and tell them we sent you. Most importantly, Cannabis with a Cause is their slogan because 30% of their proceeds are going to build no-kill animal shelters, which they're well on their way to getting one set up right now. And we'll let you know when that thing's ready. So huge thank you to MedFarm. And finally, DEB Concerts. The promoter based right here in Tulsa that we know and love and we talk about all the time because tons of great shows have come here due to DEB concerts such as Last in Line, Saxon, 
Buck Cherry, Warrant, L.A. Guns, Junkyard. They've done arena shows at the BOK with Snoop Dogg and Nelly. They had one scheduled this summer with Poison, Tom Kiefer, and Sebastian Bach at the BOK Center, but that, of course, is postponed like everything else. That'll likely be happening next summer when the stadium tour with Poison, Def Leppard, and Molly Crew commences. But in the meantime, April 15th at the Ideal Barroom, you can catch Dead Metal Society and Rocket Science, two great bands from this area that you don't want to miss. And then October 23rd, LA Guns will be back at the Ideal Barroom, and they're always a great show. And we'll let you know what the openers are on that when that's announced. So get on dbconcerts.com for ticket info, and to stay up to date, of course, if there's any changes or reschedules or cancellations, you know, you hear stuff every day. You know, with everything that's going on from concerts around the world that were either canceled outright or rescheduled or whatever. So follow DEB Concerts on Facebook and let them know we sent you. Now that we've got the, what the bills paid, I guess, so to speak, as uh, I know Chris Shiflett says on his podcast, which a lot of people listen to this probably don't listen to Walking the Floor by Chris Shiflett, but it's an amazing podcast. It focuses 90 90, 95% of it's focused on country artists. But Chris Shifflett is from the Foo Fighters. And he, of course, dabbles in country on the side. But anyway, that was a little tangent there about that. So check out Walking the Floor. He has had on, you know, guys like Mike Ness and uh, Michael Monroe and some other rock guys. But I mentioned Healing the Fray up front because we played uh, Ready for Dead by the Laurel Order on that episode. So I figured, why don't we play Healing the Fray? On this episode, they've got their new album that they just uh, put out here back in May. A little under two months ago, it came out in the middle of May. It's a fantastic self-titled album. It's their first full-length. They've had EPs out, singles. This album's great. It features Mike Ariza, Jeff Sandoval. It also features Chris Collier, who produced this and, I believe, most of all the rest of their work. He plays bass on it. But I mention that because I'm going to play a song that's not on that album, that they just put out this past week. Like most people that are putting out, they're either doing live streams or doing, you know, just releasing a song that they did via Zoom. Healing the Fray put together a group and did a cover of Journey's biggest hit, which is probably one of the biggest hits of any band of all time, Don't Stop Believing. And this features both of them along with you know, they've got some friends in there, keyboards and guitar, and then, of course, Chris T- Collier on bass. So check this out from Healing the Fray. Don't stop believing. Just a small town.
Don't Stop Believing" right there from Healing the Fray and Friends. Man, I gotta say, if you are gonna cover a journey, obviously, first things first, you gotta have someone that can handle those vocals like Steve Perry, and that's not a easy thing to do, but Jeff Sandoval is one of the great singers in hard rock today, in my opinion, and he pulls this off exceptionally, no issues, no problem, and as well, Mike Ariza, Neil Sean, has a distinct sound, a distinct tone, I believe, to his guitar and his 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 parts and his solos and all that, and Mike Ariza nails this. The rest of the band sounds great. The keyboards sound great. Of course, Chris Collier as well. So do yourself a favor. Look this up if you want to hear it again. See the video. They've got a video with all them performing in their own spaces on the HTF band. It's how you can find them on Facebook. Healing the Fray. Like I said, their debut album, fantastic. We've played several other songs here over the past few years. We've had them on the podcast three times total now. So check all those out uh, and check out Healing the Fray. All right, there's a few things that I wanted to talk about, but I'm going to hold them until Jason's here. We've got another episode coming up later this week, Thursday, with PJ Farley from Trickster and Raw. So when Jason's on that, we'll talk about some stuff. I wanted to talk about the new single from Seven Dust that came out a little over a week ago. They did a an amazing cover of Soundgarden's The Day I Tried to Live. There was also this quarantine stuff that PJ Farley's a part of. It's a band with PJ and Chris Jericho. They've also got Bruce Kulik involved for KISS. Excuse me, formerly of KISS. And they're covering just 80s KISS songs, which often get overlooked. And one of the, well, I say 80s, but probably the better way to say it would be non-makeup KISS, because the second song they put out is actually from 90 or 91, I believe. Or no, 92, I think, so whenever Revenge came out. They did Heart of Chrome, and their first song was No, 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 which actually charted on the mainstream rock billboard charts, which is amazing. I haven't heard of any of these quarantine covers doing that yet, so... You know, huge huge props to them for that. But anyway, like I said, I'm going to talk about all that stuff on the PJ Farley episode that's coming up later this week, which is a really cool one as well. But in the meantime, Brandon Cook is the guitarist for The Loyal Order, a great new hard rock band that, from the stuff I've heard, I've heard three or four songs sounding fantastic. This song we played, Ready for Dead, is climbing up the mainstream rock charts. You can hear that right now. You can hear the rest of this album. Later this month, Brandon Cook of The Loyal Order, Black and Blue, is here to talk about everything that The Loyal Order's got going on, Black and Blue. Some stuff with that, some stuff with his Guns N' Roses tribute band, and of course, some other great stuff. So let's just get into this right now. Here's Brandon Cook. actually been quite busy um doing the coronavirus stuff i uh i i ended up being because i had a um on my on my side gig i do like uber eats so i i drive uber when i'm not teaching lessons or playing gigs it's just a real easy way to pick up some money and you know they the the uber people stayed stayed open and all the restaurants stayed open so i ended up working my tail off <laughs> for the last like 14 weeks just driving all over the city, uh, you know, talking to people and, you know, kind of figuring out how everybody's handling the whole thing. And, you know, Portland, Oregon, everybody pretty much got on board and, and, um, you know, you know, they didn't require masks and stuff like that for quite some time. And then, um, about a month ago or a month and a half ago, uh, they started requiring us to wear masks and it, it was pretty easy because somebody made me some masks and sent them to me in the mail. They were like music fans that, that sent me some stuff. And I, I just felt really blessed that that I've been able to, you know, make it through all this 
stuff and you know i i play music for a living that's what i do mostly and you know when that dropped off uh i didn't have really any way to to do it and the uber thing really helped me lift up and pay some bills and stay on my stay afloat and get them you know get on my feet and make sure that that my daughter and i both had food in our bellies and a roof roof over our head so i felt i felt pretty good about that yeah, I guess. And the, also, uh, in that, oh, go ahead. You know, I was just going to say, I guess the, the good thing about a job like Uber Eats is that while you're driving around, you have time to listen to music and think about your own music and that kind of thing as well. Yeah, you know, I, I've I've had uh, I I've been actually like plugging in tons of really great records that I have in my in my listening collection, like from jazz and classical to like you know Guns and Roses and Metallica and like the King's X and all kinds of really great stuff that I have in my car right now. I'm just, uh, you know, and then, you know, I have a lot of time to actually talk on the phone, you know, and handle business stuff too, you know, like we're, you know, we, we, uh, we still have like this, the loyal order has this album coming out and we're trying to get, you know, our song to the radio and <laughs> it's been kind of nuts, you know, without, you know, without playing a single show during this, this time, you know, we got our song to number 32 on billboard charts. It's unbelievable. You know, we're, we're kind of tripping off that. We just got the, the new, the new numbers in. And I think concrete foundations has us, I think it's either 19 or 17. I'm just, I'm totally floored at, at the performance of this, these songs and really feeling, feeling awesome, feeling blessed for, you know, getting this, you know, opportunity to talk to you guys too meeting and talking to people we've been doing interviews so like i'll i'll turn my turn my uber Eats thing off for 20 30 minutes an hour talk to people as soon as the interview's over turn the thing back on and start driving (laughs) 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 well like you mentioned i mean ready for dead's getting a lot of exposure on mainstream radio and everything like what's the response been like from fans to you guys you know, the, we've been listening to it, you know, we've had it, we had, we released that song about a year ago, right after I got back from uh, a short music journey and uh, came home, you know, we released the song on March 1st of last year of 2019. And then over the next few months, we got uh, about 200,000 views. And then once the radio thing hit, and we started a new campaign with with the same video. We are now at, you know, eight eight hundred and eighty thousand views worldwide, and our fans at home and across the nation are just freaking out. They're like, "Oh my God, you guys are making it!" And we're like, "Yeah, it's only taken eight years." <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we've been working at this band for quite some time. You know, it was around two thousand fifteen that we really put concentrated effort to making this a band and then you know we made we recorded the the ready for dead video in 2018 and we started talking to tom hazer um uh, right around that time and started planning like okay man if we're really going to do this we need to you know we need to work with people who really know how to release an album and make it make it stick in people's minds so getting in touch with Tom and David Ellison, you know, they, they were really able to take this thing to market the proper way. And, you know, with guys like me and Jeff who are very uh, driven and, you know, we have our wits about us all very often, you know, to try to, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like it's bread and butter, you know, we're selling this like a product and we have to like, we have to get people's attention and, it's a whole, I guess what I'm saying is it's a whole learning experience, you know, um, to getting this thing out there. And we're so lucky that, that the song actually like got picked up, you know, and it's, it's doing well. It's sitting right next to some really great big giant artists like Kill Switch Engage and Trivium. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it was, it was just three slots away from Ozzy and Elton John on the mainstream rock charts. And we were just like, oh, my God. This is amazing. Well, uh, you know, we've had Dave Elson uh, on, on the podcast, and, uh, you know, it's, like you said, him and Tom seem really involved, and uh, so I guess it's been pretty good working with EMP, huh? Yeah, you know, they, they're they very involved, and 
especially Tom, you know, because Tom's kind of the day-to-day guy, and David, mm-hmm. obviously, like, you know, he's got Megadeth business and all kinds of other things going on with his own project. But Tom is sort of managing our release, and I mean, I'm sure you, I'm sure you know Jody, Jody Best, and yes. she's she's been really just like amazing, doing the work for us to to get in touch with wonderful people like you, and and we get to share our share our dreams with the world through you guys, you know. So it's we have a great team. Uh, Eric Baker is actually the guy that's getting, you know, working us on the radio side of things and Jody's getting us um, hooked up with the interviews and stuff like that. So we've, uh, we've been just thankful. I'm very thankful to have the team that we have and just little by little, you know, working through the music business, Tom really just, he had that vibe about him that it was all business and, you know, he was going to get the get the job done for us, you know, when we asked him. And sure enough, when we when we started working with him, it was just all guns blazing. Let's get this done, guys. <laughs> and next thing you know, we're here. You know, number thirty-two on Billboard. It's been a lifelong dream to even be, have a song on Billboard, much less you know thirty-two on the mainstream rock chart. So definitely it's crazy. I mean, going back, you know, you said 2015, roughly, like, how did this project come about with you and Jeff? Like, what was the, the basis for you guys getting together and starting to work together? Well, um, Jeff and I have known each other since about 2008. Um, we played in a band together um, with John Thayer, who is the brother of Tommy Thayer from Kiss. Oh, wow. Um, Tommy saw that he's from Portland and, you know, his his brother had this, you know, this really cool studio project that he was trying to take to trying to take to the stage. And we, you know, Jeff and I have a pretty good reputation around Portland, Oregon. So when, when we and we just hit it off right away. And, you know, even though we were playing kind of indie pop music, it was, you know, we just looked at each other and it was like, this is a really good combination. Like we need to do this more. And we developed a really good friendship from that. And we played with Delana a couple of years later, Delana from Rockstar Supernova. She's a really amazing singer. I just, are you familiar with her? Yeah. Yeah. I love her. (laughs) Yeah. I watched every episode of that show, dude. I know what you're talking (laughs) about. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yes, man. I did too. I watched a bunch of that show too. Well, there was a, a singer from Portland, Oregon named Storm Large on that show too. You remember her? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. She, she's just amazing. Her and Delana were, were friends for a while. And so we, Jeff actually met her at NAM, you know, at the NAM show. And they just, they, they hit it off pretty good. And when we started working together with Delana, Delana had a, quite a bit higher expectation for us musically than we were ever used to and we once she started you know pushing us further to succeed higher with our with our musicianship and stuff like that we just kind of looked at each other and we were like this is the way we want to be dude we have to do it this way if we're going to do a band together this is what we have to do and right around our right after our first tour we did with Delana we got the call from our friend Jeff Coxon and he said I've got this show for um Comcast Sportsnet Northwest, which is an NBC affiliate. Uh, he's, he had a show called Off the Grid, and he wanted us to, to write the, the theme song for his show. So as we were you know, writing this theme song, people were freaking out over it. We, we were just kind of playing our demo for people, and they were like, oh, my God, this is an amazing song. You know, we, couldn't, we couldn't believe the feedback we were getting. So we kind of took it to the next level after that song went through, and do you remember the end of the world, twelve twenty one twelve? What? Oh, the day that was, was supposed to be there, the end of the yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. It was supposed to be the end of the world, but <laughs> the end of the Mayan calendar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nobody died, thankfully. Um, <laughs> but uh, we uh, we played that for a bunch of people down at this rock club called Dante's, and and everybody lost their mind. We were we were so shocked that the song that we had written, you know, just you know, I wrote the riff and. You know, he called me one day and he's like, hey, I got some lyrics. Let's finish the song. So by the time he got there, I had almost everything for an arrangement. You know, I, I finished writing this song. I had been watching like classic songwriting. You know, those those uh, VH1 classic album 
yeah. uh, hour-long videos. Yeah. yeah, I was watching those all the time at the time, and they they it gave me some really cool insights to how to write classic music. So I I I stole some of the ideas off like Def Leppard and like Metallica and all these things. <laughs> and uh, man, when I got when he got there that day, he was like, "Wow, that that riff took some shape," and and we really and this is the song called off the grid it's now on the album it's going to be called superhuman and just as we as we built that song and finished it people just really resonated with it so we started writing other tunes we wrote about three or four other songs and then we decided that our next you know to really get it to a higher level we started working with a guy named um rob baker who was who worked with um, our first band leader, John Thayer. Uh, that's kind of how we got to know Rob, um, you know, just for, as a producer. And he knows how to work a song in a way that like creates, you know, just chemistry with the parts. He, he knows how to like just take one little section out and make another section a little bit sweeter. And, you know, hey, this note right here is a little funny. Can you try something else with it? And we, we just built that built the song back you know we even we actually ended up re-recording um the first three songs that we did outside of that and then brought them to the new production level and now the album has come together over the last couple of years we pretty much had the album finished last summer and then rob had to make the new dan reed network record which it turned out amazing and then we put finishing touches on the album and this is where we sit today. You know, we, it's, it's been a long journey to get to this place, but, um, all the lessons that we learned in songwriting just were just really made this, this project work. And we're super excited about the record. Do you have a release date? Um, it's going to be in July. Um, the, the album is going to be released. I think it's July 17th, but we have, a pre-release date in just a couple of couple of days where we're going to be releasing our pre-release of the album coming up here pretty quick so that people can, you know, they can pre-purchase the album. And then when the release date comes, it just goes to their, you know, iTunes account or whatever. Gotcha. And, uh, so the, the full album has nine songs and it'll be released on EMP music label. So, well, I saw that you guys recently did that acoustic version of Ready for Dead for the Oh Say Can You Stream. Like, it, I mean, it sounded great stripped down. Was that written acoustically or was it was it something you guys had to arrange for that show? You know, it, we, we arranged that specifically for the show. Um, we didn't, you know, I think that's one of the tendencies of a really great song. It can be played acoustically and still rock. Yeah, You know, right. the, the, it's got... It's got strong melodies and strong enough parts. The basic parts of the song, uh, like the guitar parts, can be played on either acoustic or electric. And you know, my guitar solo was a little bit hard to play on that <laughs> on that song. I I, I wasn't I, since I was like driving twelve to fourteen hours a day at that time. I I didn't even have time to practice before I did the recording. And you know, they I went in to go cut my track and. It was really hard to play that solo on acoustic guitar because <laughs> it's just got this ridiculous uh, uh, guitar tone that makes it really, it makes it a little bit easier to play on electric guitar, but on acoustic, wow, it's just really hard. So it was it was fun to get that done. And man, what an amazing experience to play on that OSA Can You Scream thing, you know, to be helping kids and, you know, working with Tom and Dave and just to see how deep they're, their benches, all the people that they've worked with in their history and all the people there they had on their show. Oh my gosh. It was like guys from Shadows Fall and, you know, Alice Cooper and, you know, Megadeth and Testament and just, you know, Mitch Perry and everybody. It was just like ridiculous. Yeah. I saw the Mitch Perry. Yeah. Yeah. Mitch Perry was on, like, I, I, I pitched him like those guys I'm supposed to be working with, with Dave's youth music foundation on guitar lessons. And, and uh, Mitch was on right when I was on it. I've met Mitch a couple of times before, but I was still just kind of starstruck, just going like, that's Mitch Perry. He's one of the greatest guitar players in the world, you know? Gosh. Yeah. 
kick me out. <laughs> and yeah, the really the last probably nine months of my life has just been really insane. I I, I got to go on Mega Cruise at, when and I got to actually play with Tom and Dave with the drummer of Megadeth. I, me and my friend Dakota got to play Wake Up Dead with Tom, Dave, and Dirk Berberin. So wow, we we've had we've had a I've had a hell of a ride the last the last time <laughs> definitely getting this getting this record ready for uh you know ready for market and talking and networking with people it's so been amazing. Well, uh, you know, earlier you were talking about, you know, the the sign of a great song, uh, you know, if it's stripped down in writing. Um, how do you guys handle writing? Is is it more one guy or is it more of a collaborative thing? Um, Jeff and I, we constantly write individually. Like, and Rob is Rob's a solo artist. So like, he's he's been contributing to the album, and and you know, mostly as a producer. But we have two Rob Baker songs on here, so like. But Jeff and I, you know, like we're constantly writing for the Loyal Order. Like he writes stuff and I write stuff, and mostly Jeff and I are contributing together. Like our writing styles really match well together. So we'll get together and just co-write, but like three or four ideas in one sitting, and then that'll sort of like some of the ideas just inspire other ideas. They don't really necessarily like take shape as a song but it's a really cool idea so we're like yeah that's not really working for this like why don't we try it this way and then it'll shift so we we really are constantly evolving until something really takes root in our brains and we're like we got to play that again that's really cool like this song the river i wrote i wrote the main riffs of that song outside of outside of the loyal order writing sessions but uh, it was actually I wrote it at like three in the morning. I I, I was a, I was at a party and I was talking to somebody and I had a guitar in my hand and I just noodled something and I was like, oh man, I got to write that down. So I I recorded it into my phone and then I was on an airplane going to a recording session in San Francisco and listening to back through my songs. So I was like, oh wow, I haven't heard this one in a while. And it came on and I was like, oh man, that's got to be a loyal order song. And so the, the opening riff of the loyal order was written at 3 a.m. at a party. <laughs> and so I'm like, for me, I constantly am spinning out like silk, you know, constantly trying to like make a song that, that really catches, you know, if I, I feel like if it catches Jeff's ear, cause he, we're both really discerning if something that he does catches my ear or something that I does, I do catch his, his ear we really kind of like take each other pretty seriously and, you know, just love it. We, I think that's probably the strongest thing about our, our writing relationship is we write things constantly that, that impress each other. You know, it's like, Oh wow, that's really cool. You know, like, can we do this with it? And we just start working together immediately that way. And the, the flexibility, I'm, I'm really blessed to have like flexible, you know, and very deep songwriting partners, you know, I went. I actually came up with a couple of riffs um, earlier this year, and went in and kind of cut down a cut uh, with with Rob, our, our producer, and he was already starting to hear melodies for for a vocal melody like right away uh, when I played the song for him, and he was uh, that's that's what I mean, just like ever creative. With you know the guys that I'm working with, they're just constantly spinning out that silk they always have that idea like let's try an idea here with this let's try this idea how about this and um that that makes me feel inspired too even if not a little bit afraid i'm like oh shit these guys are really good (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna be i'm gonna be on my game you know and so that's that's really how the songwriting process process works for me with this group um i always want to be prepared to bring my best ideas to the table. So do you guys, uh, do you have a lot of, a lot of more songs that didn't make this album? You said there was nine tracks on there. Yeah. You know, the, since, you know, since we're mostly self-funded, you know, with the way we record, like our, our, you know, our singer owns the record label that we're working that, that we started, you know, with the band. And so we, 
we don't have like endless major label funds to make great songs. So we just, we work our butts off on the best stuff that we have. So if something's not totally feeling like super inspired, we just set it aside and know that when we get to that, we'll be able to like get it to the next level. So we just kind of like ready for dead. We knew that was going to be a, we had a feeling it was going to be a hit because it had such a strong melody and the guitar arrangement and the drum parts and all, all that stuff came together and it was really exciting for people. So, you know, like, and then all the other songs that, that are on the record came together that way too. They just had a lot of inspiration and it just was very easy for us to get stuff, ideas translated from playing to the, you know, to the recording devices. And the other tunes that we had that were that are not finished, they were just a you know just a little bit behind the eight ball, so they didn't really. We probably have like twenty songs that are not finished, um, just waiting to be worked on, and and then another like probably hundred riffs that that we could probably work into a song, because we just keep keep working that way. And I, I read this article at Gene Simmons about. 15 years ago where he just says he said he constantly writes he writes every day you know he'll just just to keep keep loose it's like going into the gym you know you like so that when you get on the basketball floor you're not weak you know you want to be ready and like in shape for writing and so I'm 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 either working on a project with somebody or working on my own songs at home I'm a tinkerer just like guys that work on their house by themselves I do that with my songs all the time Shifting gears slightly with Black and Blue, you've played the Monsters of Rock Cruise. You got the Kiss Cruise coming up. Like, what's been the what's the experience has been like playing part of you know music themed cruises like that? Oh man, well that was really my first foray with 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 you know playing in the world like international level musicians. You know, I, before that I was in a Guns N' Roses tribute band. I still I still play with them, um, but the that's my money gig. Uh, and then like with black and blue, you know, we only do like monsters of the rock cruise M3. Um, they've done, they've done actually Rocklahoma right before I joined the band. Um, about a year before I joined the band, they did Rocklahoma. And we were and there. So, <laughs> Oh, you were there for black and blue. Oh my God. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> oh, I wish yeah. I was there. <laughs> we even saw Jamie um, with Warren so, the year before that. <laughs> Oh, that's right. That, yeah, he, uh, that's so cool. Man. And I think that must be how we got on that gig. Um, but, uh, you know, black, black and Blue. So when I stepped into that world in 2013, you know, I, uh, I've gotten to... It, it raised the game to a much higher level the very first day. You know, we played, we played shows that weekend with guys from Striper. And, um, you know, I think Ron Keel was there. All like basically it was like MTV in a small club. And I'm like, why are all these people from MTV here? Oh wait, I'm <laughs> playing with them. <laughs> this is this, and so the first show went really really well, and the guys really liked having me around. So we, you know, when I first did the Monster of the Rock Cruise, it was nuts because it was, you know, it was Warrant and it was, you know, Kicks and it was Tesla and these were all people that my band members knew and I didn't know. And, you know, I made, I made a lot of interesting friends that, <laughs> that week. And then a week later we did M3 at, at uh, Meriwether Post in Maryland. And, you know, you're paying, playing for like, you know, five, six, 7,000 people and they're watching you, you know, they're, they, at that show that it was the first time I played for such a large audience and man, it really made me change because I'd always had like a really high expectation of myself for excellence and playing well. Uh, but after you see like Richie Kotzen walking to the stage, just, just after you're finished playing, you know, they're setting up for the winery dogs right after you finish or right after I finished. So like I walk over to, you know, Richie Kotzen guitar tech. And I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, Richie can follow me now <laughs> just to mess with him. And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I started laughing. And he was like, okay. 
and but yeah the it was it really took me to a another level of seriousness about my own guitar playing like holding myself to a higher standard ready to 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 grow because the guys in black and blue especially pete holmes and patrick you know jamie's really he's he's already there he's like a rock star but he's not like the day-to-day guys that i deal with and practice with you know pete holmes the drummer for rat now and and patrick young they're the guys i work with on a really you know close level because i'm in the band part of it and they just they have this really intense expectation of how tight black and blue is supposed to be and you know, in my experience, the only person I knew that wanted the band that tight was Megadeth. And so I just kind of take what I would think of Megadeth tight and apply it to black and blue. And when I did that, those guys were like, yeah, that's how you do it. Good job. <laughs> so, okay. I, I, we're, we're getting along here. The uh, Little by little, the, the experience of playing with those guys has been it's just growing in tightness and growing, like gelling the band together. It's been really good. When you think of something yeah. like the Kiss Cruise, is it weird to think that you may be up there playing Tommy Thayer's parts while he's out there watching? <laughs> uh, I've actually played on stage with Tommy Thayer. We, oh, okay. uh, our, 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 our drummer, Pete, uh, Pete Holmes, uh, he's now, like I said, he's playing Rat now. His wife, Annette, um, had just passed away from cancer, but about a year before she passed away, Tommy organized a, a sort of a black and blue headlining uh, Annette Holmes memorial show, like or not memorial, but a you know, like a like a tribute uh, fundraiser type show. Yeah. And uh, he had he had us the guys from Black and Blue come up and play, and. I could definitely feel the band kick into a different kind of overdrive when he was on stage. It was just, I've never felt anything like that where just that original member was there and they were just like, you know, like ready to roll. And I felt the the adrenaline in me go higher too. So it, it, you know, to, to know that he might be watching me from the audience, not just playing on stage with me, that's actually scarier. (laughs) You know, he's like, you know, <laughs> and, you know, I might have Gene Simmons standing in the audience watching me or, you know, Paul Stanley, you know, watching me play. Who knows? You know, uh, that that cruise has an amazing cast um, coming out there. Uh, I, I've experienced a little bit of that um, a couple of years ago on on Monster the Rock Cruise. Um, they, we, they did a West Coast thing and we played the second show of the whole cruise. And Rat played upstairs, and then we played the second one. So, like, all the guys from Warren, all the guys from Rat, you know, all the guys, all the girls from the Iron Maidens were all there watching. And, you know, a bunch of my friends who were in the other bands, they're all standing there, like, watching. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm actually in heaven right now. This is amazing. <laughs> you know, I'm, I can't believe some of the people that are in this room watching me play guitar. This is really cool. And... I thought I would be more afraid than I was, and uh, I felt the adrenaline kick in, and then it was just hardcore rock and roll right there. Sweaty and gritty and dirty. It was amazing. (laughs) Well, you mentioned the the appetite for deception earlier. Like, how did that whole project come together? Oh, uh, yeah, appetite, you know, that was, um, I had come home from playing with Chris Caffrey from Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I was having a baby, and, you know, Chris didn't feel like that was the, you know, the right fit for what he needed. Cause like new father, possible emergencies at home, stuff like that. So we, we parted, we parted ways and they got a, a new guitar player to, to play. Um, Ira Black, um, who was plays in like Lizzie Borden and stuff like that. And he was actually finishing up with vicious rumors and joined Chris's band, right. Uh, sort of like on his way to metal church. And we, we, uh, so I, I separated from that group and came home to be a dad. And literally on the way home, I was calling my, my buddies to try to find a gig, you know, so that I had a, a gig to, to go to. And so I, I came home. We call, got into a practice room to, pre- to audition for this Guns N' Roses band. This was in 2005. And within four days of, of 
coming home from playing with Chris Caffrey, I had a, a the Guns N' Roses tribute band started. And that band I've been in for 15 years and, you know, playing Flash and learning all his stuff. Man, what a, an amazing learning experience, you know, doing, you know, that, that, that music. Um, just so many classic guitar solos and classic riffs and amazing lyrics and melodies and stuff. Like Guns N' Roses is just one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. And yeah. to get to play, play that stuff uh, has been a has been a pretty cool, pretty cool experience for that long. And uh, the guys in the group are really great. Um, we, the way it sort of came together, once we did that audition, you know, a couple of the guys weren't weren't working out, so we went on quite a, a journey to find the right drummer, and um, uh, we found a pretty good drum a good drummer after about um, after about a year of working with a couple of different guys and. Uh, after we got our drummer Andrew Green, he uh, he really helped solidify what a rock and roll band is supposed to sound like for that group. We had a couple of guys that weren't totally they didn't totally understand how to play with that rock and roll swagger, like you know, like like Steven Adler does, you know, or like yeah. Matt Sorum or you know any of the amazing drummers that play with Guns N' Roses. But to you know to have that swing in the band, you know, not just a like a like Portnoy type drummer, like really technical or anything like that. We knew a lot of guys like that. They could play really technical, but they didn't have like the groove, the feel. And to get somebody like that in the band really helped us sound really authentic as a Guns N' Roses tribute. And that's, I don't know, maybe I'll ask you guys a question. Do you feel like it's, it's important to have that authentic feel in the band? You know, when you watch a, a tribute band? Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I mean, I don't really see the point in just kind of half-assing it like you're just doing a few covers. If you're, like, saying this is a tribute band for this specific artist, then I think that it should be, yeah, as as good as you or as close as you can get. Yeah, exactly. That, that's that's kind of the, the, the method we use to, to keep ourselves, well, I guess, relevant, you know, because it's... You know, we've we've seen a lot of tribute bands over the years, and you know, some of them some of them are really good, and some of them are kind of, you know, they're like a cover band in wigs, and and we we never wanted to be like that. We really wanted to be. If you closed your eyes, you'd think it was Guns N' Roses, you know, and you know, you know, we know the wigs look kind of goofy and stuff like that, and we we try to look as authentic as we possibly can, but it's fun. You know, because playing that music is is so great, and if we you can if we can evoke the kind of nostalgia it takes to to make people believe we're that good, then we're going to work really hard to make it that good. Yeah. So, um, playing playing in that band actually like kind of taught me how to play live in a in a in a world class setting. You know, like because we had to play in like big casinos. You know, one time one time we actually got to play. Um, in the same casino as Flash the same night, like Flash's band was playing. And then we played in, in the bar and fl- half of Flash's band came down to watch us play. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> we were like, we were like, Oh my God, that's Flash's band over there. You know, <laughs> they're listening to us play. And so we, we, yeah, but that band really just works really, really hard to, you know, we build our, my friend, Michael Killian builds our, you know, our back line. He's a, he's a really skilled welder craftsman guy. And you know, he we built some backline cabinets and drum riser and all kinds of really neat stuff for us to make us look more authentic, like Guns N' Roses. Like you're doing the slash parts, so there's another guitarist doing like the Izzy Stradlin parts. Do you stick mainly to the early stuff, or do you do the Use Your Illusion stuff as well? We've actually done everything up through. We've done. Man, we we know the entire Appetite record. We probably know like almost half of the user illusion stuff we played um most of gnr lives i mean we even played a little bit of uh um like one in a million one time at a show we we changed the lyrics of course but the <laughs> you know you know we 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 i mean everybody loves that song but you know it's got a, it's it's got a legacy and we really want to make sure that you know our, our fans you know know we we respect 
you know, all people and stuff like that. So we, you know, we kept that part out of there, but the, the, we probably know about who, man, like half that stuff. And, and the, I think the only one we haven't played on that record is the nice boys. Cause we've done mama Ken and, uh, all the covers, uh, and then all the, all the original ones. So you're crazy, uh, patient, um, and used to love her. And then we've only done one song off Chinese Democracy, and but we actually have done like I think three songs off off of uh, Spaghetti Incident too. So that's awesome. We yeah, we even did Coma one time. We did Coma in its entirety. <laughs> Man, yeah, that's one of my so, favorite GNR songs. <laughs> Yeah, I know, isn't it? It's so great, you know, like Coma, like it was something that we knew that we had to do if we were going to really get people's attention, like to be able to pull off Coma and like Estranged and November Rain, you know, so we actually, since we don't have a keyboard player, we had to, you know, build some tracks for for Estranged and and November Rain. But uh, other than that, we, we do everything live and um, we're considering getting a keyboard player now, but um, it's just expensive to, you know, pay other people to be in the band <laughs> when you only have like, I mean, the song of songs that people really want to hear, you know, when we play live, you know, Guns N' Roses can get away with playing their entire catalog because they're Guns N' Roses, but a tribute band has to play the hit and mm-hmm, we yeah. can't play deep cuts and, you know, not very many of the songs that people want to hear live have the keyboards on it, so playing five songs or six songs with keyboards out of a 90 minute set. It doesn't quite work financially for us. So, you know, we're, we're kind of working on a, a new business model to bring a keyboard player and possibly in the next couple of years. And, um, but you know, it's a, uh, it's really fun to, to play that music. So kind of looking forward into the future. Like once shows are able to happen, happen again, can we expect to see the Laurel order out there? Doing the live thing, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Um, the we're actually working on um, getting shows lined up for the coming year. Um, we have a show definitely like in the ink is dry. What's going to happen with with loudness in November? They're coming to Portland, Oregon in November. Oh, nice! And we're going to play with them. And you know, we're we're kind of chatting with people and trying to figure out when things are opening up and ideas for who we should play with and just trying to cultivate like the live side of this. And we're, you know, getting our merch together and making sure we have the album, you know, released and ready for purchase and stuff like that. So that when we hit the road, you know, our machine is in place too. So the, the, the amount of work that's taken, you know, you know a lot of this is, is on Jeff's, Jeff's head because I'm working my regular day job all the time. Jeff, Jeff has a little, since he's the leader of his company, he like, he has a little bit more spare, not spare time, but like available time to work on the business part of, of uh, Loyal Order. And he's just kicking serious butt. And, you know, the, the, we have a very, like I said, we have a really professional crew that helps us out with all this stuff. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really, once we do hit the road, it's going to be really good. And I should tell you about our band. Well, I haven't, I haven't even told you about our band for the Loyal Order yet. Um, we have Patrick Young who plays bass in Black and Blue. He's a, he's a, he's our bass player in the Loyal Order. Um, he's obviously a very good friend of mine and um, just a killer, killer bass player, perfect for this band. And then we have a guy named Kyle Baltus playing drums. Have you ever heard of Thirty Six Crazy Fists or Light the Torch? Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, how? Yeah, so both he plays drums in both of those bands, and he he loves our music. So we we invited him to play with us, and he just he's such a great fit musically with this group. He really is just powerful, powerful drummer, um, and you know a really great fit personally. We we all all of us get along so good in this band, and then uh, we have um, a guy I've known for oh man probably fifteen years now. Um, 16 years. Um, he used to be a student of mine when he was in high school, and I was still in my 20s. And you know, as he grew as a musician, he was getting really good, really good, really good. And 
all of a sudden I was like, man, you're really damn good. You should play in my band. <laughs> and, and so I had a group called the state of balance that we, back in the, 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 the late, I think it was 2010 that I started that, that group playing live. I hadn't written songs for it many years before that, but, um, getting state of balance together was crucial to have a, a guitar player as good as Justin. And sometimes I would show him something that he didn't think he could play. And I'm just like, come on, man, you can play this. And of course he always nailed it. He was, he was just that guy. He just knows he has really amazing hearing and, uh, he's got perfect pitch actually. And so anything I could show him, he could play. And when it came time to finish putting the lineup together for the loyal order, you know, he had, he's now in his thirties and, uh, he, he's played in and made records with a couple of different bands since then. So, um, he's really super strong now and having him as a co-guitar player is absolutely unbelievable. Um, best guitar player I've ever played with in a band. So I'm really lucky. And of course, Jeff Tuner, he's my singer and co-writer and, and man, the guy's just killing it right now. Um, we're actually writing, we're starting to write the second record now. So the band, the band's going very well. Very cool. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to hearing the new album and we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Definitely. Oh, ab- absolutely, man. If, I, I appreciate you guys having me on your show and your podcast and anytime you need anything from us, just let us know. Well, I, I, I was, I was just looking through your page and I saw the, uh, you had a bad religion shirt on. And so that's awesome. I love that band. Kudos to you for the bad Kudos religion shirt. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you, man. Um, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate the, the man. I, I love music in so many different forms. Like bad religion, bad religion came from my punk phase. I got out of music school and I was like, everything was like super, you know, perfect classical and jazz and stuff like that. And I was just like, I need some punk rock. So I started listening right. to like, you know, bad religion and, you know, green day is not exactly like super <laughs> punk rock, but like, um, all the, you know, early eighties punk and, and, you know, that kind of thing. I just became, I needed to get some like raw energy. Yeah. I, I got into like the clash and like, uh, icky pop and, you know, early stuff like that. I just, and Bad Religion was one of the bands that, that got got my attention because of the big vocal harmonies. Those guys have such amazing singing in that group. Yes, I they do. And I I appreciate the diversity because you know Brian Baker he could be in Bad Religion and then he was in Junkyard. I mean I love it. That that's that's perfect to me. Wow, that's something I didn't know. Wow, yeah. that's cool. I, <laughs> I mean he's not in Junkyard now, Junkyard's but I mean, more... he he did double duty in both bands and. That it seems like in the punk world, people would come down on him for it, but he just did it anyways. I I, I always loved that. Yeah, I mean, like for me, uh, pe- people if people knew all the the different kinds of music. I, right now, I'm working on like a a straight up like '70s rock record with my friend Sarah Moon. You know, I've I've you know I've I've written like death metal stuff, and like then there's the Loyal Order, which is the whole we're trying to make that just like as unique as possible yeah. my 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 project that that's my solo project state of balance is more of like a prog rock thing and i study jazz and music school the diversity is it, i i totally respect people that just goes you know i don't care i'm playing whatever music i love for sure and you know i'll have to check out junkyard a little bit closer because I, I haven't really heard them they were on the cruise a couple times and i need to like listen to those guys Oh yeah, they're great. It's like just bluesy, bluesy hard rock, kind of with a punk edge to it. Uh, yeah, it sounds something interesting to me. So <laughs> take a take a listen. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for this. This is really awesome. There you go, Brandon Cook of the Laurel Order in Black and Blue, and of course, as you heard there, also of Appetite for Deception. A huge thank you to Jody Best from Best Bet Promotions for her continued. Support of this podcast, and of course, a huge thank you to Brandon Cook for taking some time out there to talk to us. That's one of those ones where I feel like we could have just kept going for an hour and a half, two hours probably, just talking about the stuff he's doing, talking about other music, whatever. Just one of those 
ones where it felt like he's easy to talk to and he had a lot of great stuff to say. So if you're not familiar with the Loyal Order, you should be, obviously, by now. You're this far into this podcast. Over over an hour, pretty much. So check him out. Ready for Dead's Out. The rest of the album will be out later this month. They've also got, like we talked about in there, a great acoustic version of Ready for Dead. It's linked there on their Facebook page. And, of course, he has Black and Blue as well. So hopefully once... Concerts start happening probably in 2021 if we can see some festivals or cruises. Who knows exactly when all that's going to start. But Black and Blue has been a part of the stuff like he mentioned, like M3, way back Rocklahoma. You know, the Monsters of Rock cruise, the Kiss cruise. They've got all that stuff coming. So looking forward to Black and Blue back out there as well. But yeah, speaking of Black and Blue, I played Jamie St. James on Words with Friends and I have never beat him. That I can remember. I might have way back. Because I played Words with Friends years ago. And I think he's one of the guys I'd play. Troy Patrick Farrell was another one of the musicians. And since I started playing here in the last... Again, in the last few months. I've played a few games against Jamie St. James. And he's... I've come close once, but... He's just better at that game than I am. So, anyway. Whatever that has to do with anything. Just thought you people should know. Alright, if you're... Listening for the first time, or if you're just a every once in a while listener, you know we've got a huge back catalog now. Over five years worth of stuff, 274 episodes before this one. I've been talking about Black and Blue here and Guns N' Roses. If you like that style of music, we've had Dizzy Reed from Guns N' Roses on here. We've had Frank Hannon from Tesla on here more than once. We've had Vivian Campbell from Def Leppard and Dio on here. We've had Gene Simmons from KISS, Bruce Kulick, formerly of KISS, now of Grand Funk Railroad, and like I mentioned earlier, the very cool Quarantine with a K. We've also had on guys from Warrant, Trickster, Firehouse, Bullet Boys, Dokken, Great White, Slaughter, uh, Lillian Axe, Taiketo, a lot of bands, you know, from that 80s, you know, hard rock era. But we've also had on a lot of, you know, hard rock and heavy metal guys, like guys from Shine Down, Seven Dust, Sons of Texas, Trapped, Black Label Society, Megadeth. Recently we had on, just last week, Alex Skolnick from Testament. Guys from Toxic Holocaust and Battlecross and Death Angel. Crowbar, Corrosion and Conformity, Prong, White Zombie. Just a huge-ass long list. Dig through it all. Check it out. TheThunderUnderground.com. You can listen to the podcast there. You can buy merch there. You can see reviews there. Most of those written by Jason. You can also see all our socials there and click on them. And then you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can follow us on YouTube at the Thunder Underground. Subscribe there. We put out videos that are, you know, separate from what's here on the podcast. Reviews of albums, concerts. We even had a review of Guns N' Roses and Def Leppard Cheese. That was a promotional thing put out by Aldi about a year ago. So, just random shit you can check out like that. I think that covers all the, the stuff you need to know. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, TuneIn, MixCloud iTunes, Google Music, you can listen to us pretty much anywhere podcast are heard except for Spotify, because they refuse to add us. Anyway, once again, thank you to Brandon Cook of the Laurel Order. Thank you to DEB Concerts, Med Farm, and Sunset Tattoo. And of course, thank you to our brand new sponsor, Hella Hot Hot Sauce. We'll talk to you this Thursday. When we have PJ Farley from Trickster and Raw joining us, we've also got episodes coming up here in the next two to three weeks with Dusty Robinson that is Dirty Rotten, based here in our town of Tulsa, Oklahoma. We've got one coming up with Gabe, the guitarist for Enterprise Earth. We've got one coming up with V, the vocalist and Chief Everything from Violent Idols. We've also got one coming up with Mark Mingy, 
of BPMD and Metal Allegiance. That was very cool, so looking forward to getting that one out here to you. Once again, we'll see you Thursday, and until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all.